Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of First Timothy. We're going to be in First Timothy chapter 3. And while you're, while they're having a seat and you're grabbing your Bible, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray, as the choir just sang, that we would indeed be a church ready for you. Father, I pray that everything that we say and do would all be for your glory and honor. And Father, I pray that we would all be looking forward to that day when you return and we receive a well-done, good and faithful servant. Father, please keep us close to you and keep us clean. Father, I pray today especially that you would feed your sheep. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully you've taken your copy of God's Word and turned to 1 Timothy. There's another insert in your bulletin that I didn't mention, but uh, hopefully you all saw it. Uh, We're coming up on our deacon election time. And so there's a flyer in your bulletin. This flyer will be in your bulletin today. It'll be in there next week. And then the following week, you keeping up with that? It's in there this week. It'll be in there next week. And then the following week, uh, there will be some slots for you to nominate a deacon. And so what I want to do is uh, I don't believe that I've ever preached through uh, on a Sunday morning uh, through First Timothy and talked about uh, deacons and elders within the church. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through First uh, Timothy chapter three, uh, not the whole thing, but about the first 13 verses. And what I want the purpose for doing this is so that. Not next week, but the next week, when you get to elect, uh, when you get to nominate, excuse me, four deacons, I want this to be a worshipful experience for you, okay? I want you to have prayed through this. I want you to have put four men that, that meet the requirements for deacon. And I want you to, when you write the names in there, I want it to be worshipful. Just like when the offering plate comes around and you put your tithe in the offering plate. That should be a very worshipful experience because you understand what is a tithe? And you recognize that it's you giving back to the Lord what he's giving to you. And hopefully that should be very worshipful. And so we've been doing a series on worship. And this is our deacon nomination time. It's a time where the church is very involved uh, in appointing people for the church. This is a uh, God-ordained office in the church. And you can participate in such a way that's very worshipful. You following me? All right, good deal. So let's jump into the scripture and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the beginning part of um, so the words bishop elder and overseer are all interchangeable in the scriptures. Okay, so some of your Bibles are going to have different language, but all three of those words are commonly used for the same thing. Bishop, overseer, elder or pastor. We use the word now. And so first Timothy chapter three, we're going to start. It's a trust. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household... How will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So there's a couple things that I want to point out. And and first, I want to start by saying that 
we're going to be in this passage again next week. And so we're not going to exhaust every piece of this scripture. And so I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag as to what we're not going to touch on tonight. We're not going to touch on the husband of one wife. We're not avoiding it, but we're going to wait till next week. We're also not going to touch on uh, in your in your bulletin here. You've got the insert right tucked in the middle of this paragraph. He moves from talking about deacons, that's Paul, into talking about women and some qualifications for women. And so we're not going to talk about whether deaconess is a separate office set up or if the women are the wives of deacons that are going to be appointed, okay? That's coming next week. So that doesn't mean that you need to tune out this week. But I just wanted you to know that today's not long enough for your backside to endure fleshing out all of this. And so you could at least smile at that, right? Okay, so we're going to hit that next week. So what I want you to see is that it's a trustworthy statement. Chapter 3, verse 1, if any man aspires the office of overseer. And so what is an overseer? An overseer, pastor, bishop, elder is someone who is described as a shepherd in the scripture, right? He's described as a shepherd. Uh, your members of a church, your church members are often described to as scripture in scripture as sheep. And so the pastor is someone who guides the sheep in the direction that the chief shepherd desires for them to go. And so the Lord is the overseer of all of our churches. I'm filling in as his under shepherd, taking us as the sheep where he wants us to go. The scripture uses that imagery, not me. And so that's the role of an overseer, guiding the sheep in the direction that God wants them to go. And then you're given some requirements for the man. You're given some character requirements of the man who is the overseer, pastor, elder, bishop. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And that in verse 2, that last one that says able to teach, that's a key characteristic that's different between a pastor and a deacon. When you walk through the requirements for a deacon, many of them are the same. Able to teach is one of the differences. Verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then in verse 5, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And so when you get over to the deacon's passage and the requirements for the life of a deacon, he also has to be one who manages his household well. But this paragraph in verse 5 isn't there. But if he doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Then in verse 6, And in verse 7 are the main parts that I want you to see about a pastor, overseer, elder, or bishop. And by the way, if you ever call me a bishop, I will not answer. I promise you that, okay? That's that's out of bounds. I know some of you at this point have tuned out and you only plan on touching base with me this week to call me that, but I'm going to ignore you. I don't care where it is. Listen, then you get to verse 6. And the the pastor, overseer, elder bishop must not be a new convert, verse 6, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And so what I want you to see is that it's important for a pastor not to be a new convert because it'll be easy for him to become conceited. It would be very easy for Satan to puff up inside of you and say, hey, look at you. Look at you. You're on this box, right? Look at you. Look at, look at what you are and, and be very easy to become puffed up and prideful and think more of yourself than is really there. And then what happens to people who get puffed up real big? They pop, right? And it's never pleasant. You ever seen, we live in a society where we see it all the time. You ever seen pastors fall? It's not pretty, is it? 
It's not pretty for them. It's not pretty for the churches that they pastor either. Yes. I feel like I'm more at a funeral than I'm at a place where we're supposed to worship God this morning, right? Like, don't everybody look at me sour. There's no bait and switch there. There's nothing you need to read into, okay? Just, just we're going to look at the Word of God, and then in two weeks, we're going to nominate godly deacons, and it's going to be a worshipful experience. So here we go. Don't let him be a new convert so that he won't become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And so he uses the devil in here when he's given a description for what a pastor needs to be. And so a pastor doesn't need to be a new convert so that he doesn't fall into being conceited and then into the same condemnation incurred by the devil. And so there's a temptation for pride and to be conceited to to well up in the heart of a pastor. You following me? And so what I need from you guys is for you to pray for me on a daily basis. Pray for me about the issue of pride and being conceited. Because it's right here. That's why you can't be a new convert because you naturally fall to being conceited and then you will meet the same condemnation incurred by the devil. And then listen to this in verse 7. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so these are two things the devil has talked about in the description of the character of a pastor and not so much in the deacons because the pastor is the leader under Christ. And Satan's sights are set on taking the pastor out. That's me. Satan desires to devour me more than he does any of you. Some days he wins, some days he loses. I'm a man just like everybody else, and I need your prayers more than you'll ever know. Why? So that I don't fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Brothers and sisters, Satan is after you also more than you could ever imagine. The scripture describes him as a lion who's going around searching someone to devour. You ever wanted to be that piece of meat thrown into the zoo, right? For the lion's exhibit? That's what Satan thinks you are. And he wants to devour you. But be encouraged, brothers and sisters, he'd rather devour me more. And so I'm encouraged when you guys tell me that you're praying for me. I'm encouraged when I know the life that you live. I'm encouraged by some of our deacons who are godly men who tell me when they see me, Pastor, I pray for you every day because I need it. I need their prayer every day so that I don't fall into a snare of the devil. And so it's important for the pastor to have a good reputation with those outside the church so they'll not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, moving over into the character of deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to back up and I'm going to go a little slower through the qualifications for deacons. I want you to see the first one. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Uh, some of your translations probably say that deacons are to be men worthy of respect. 
And so a deacon is the sort of person that should command respect without saying anything when he's around. It should be someone who is worthy of respect. This suggests that deacons are to be serious-minded men whose character merits respect. The term combines, combines such ideas as dignity, earnestness of purpose, and winsome attractiveness. And so these are men who, when they're around, you naturally respect them. They don't tell you that you have to respect them. You just respect them when they're around. That's men of dignity. Men worthy of respect. They must not be double-tongued. And so the individuals that you nominate for deacon, if you want to do this as a worshipful experience, need to be men who aren't double-tongued. They don't say one thing around one group of people, and they don't say something different around another group of people. Right? Uh, there's a song that, uh, that is very popular. Right? It's a, it's a, I'm sorry I'm going to ruin this song for some of you guys, but but I'm really not all that sorry. So uh, just work with me here. There's a song. I think it's a Luke Bryan song. He says that, that we're, we're men and we, we drink on the weekdays and we pray on those Sundays. Right? That's not a deacon. Right? And I'm not just using drinking as an illustration. But I'm using as an illustration that we're one way on every other day of the week. And then we're a different way on Sunday. And that's not someone who's, that's not someone who's not double-tongued. That's someone who's one way, one time, and one way, a different way. That's not someone who's worthy of respect or dignity. Or they're not addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. And so these individuals aren't addicted to much wine. And so you go, well, okay, so it's okay if we do elect deacons that drink some. Well, if you want to talk about wine in the Old Testament scriptures, it's a, it's a watered-down substance, okay? The wine that we have these days is substantially stronger than the drink that they had in those days, okay? And so your deacons that you nominate, if you want this to be worshipful, they're not going to be men who are addicted to much wine. And so this is going to be a little obscure for you as to how much is much wine. But if that individual uh, goes to the point of drunkenness, then they're not fit for being a deacon. And that's per the scriptures. Not addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. Now, early on when the... uh, when the church was starting, there would have been room for pastors and deacons to to skim money or to make money in inappropriate ways through their position in the church. Okay, and so this fond of sordid gain, uh, it was normal for people to to give money to one of the disciples, to give money to one of the deacons, to appropriate somewhere. So you put all the money in the pouch, and then you walk the pouch miles and miles and miles possibly even countries away, so that you can give it to a church in need. And so the scripture here says that the people that serve as your pastors and deacons, they don't need to be fond of sordid gain. They need to be wise and prudent with a dollar, right? They need to be trustworthy. So not fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And so these men need to have a very clear conscience about the things of the faith. Now, what he's doing is he's contrasting this against something he said earlier. Flip a page or two back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is in verse 3. And he's talking about some false doctrines and false teachers who have made their way into the church. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia... Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach, not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love 
from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. And so the men that you need to call to be your deacons need to be men of sincere faith. They need to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This means that the things that they say, they need to be deeply convicted of and they need to be living them th- those things out in their lives. Not men who just throw around words. You ever know somebody who's loose with their words and who always just says whatever they think needs to be said in any given situation without any sort of conviction on their heart? Right? That's not a description of a deacon. Okay? You know these men. Then, verse 10. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get a committee together after this church service and we're going to come up with a test, right? Who wants to be on the board to come up with a test for the deacons? Anybody? No takers. I'll make it. It's all good. Just jokes. How do you go about testing men to serve as deacons well there's one way that we do it so there's there's two things really that you need to test there's one primary way that we go about testing the first way that you mostly know about that we use as testing is the ordination process anybody here ever been part of an ordination process or sat in on an ordination board that's a time where you get to test the convictions of an individual who's up for some sort of church office so when i went into the pastoral ministry i was ordained a group of pastors sat around and they grilled me with theological questions to make sure that i matched up with the southern baptist tradition to which i was being ordained into you following me it was a test I don't know how the deacon ordination process goes here because we haven't ordained any deacon since I've been here. But I got to believe that it's the exact same way. The deacon comes forward and then all the other men who have been ordained as deacons, they test them on some theological things to make sure that they line up scripturally with where the rest of everybody else is scripturally. Right. And so you're you're testing them as far as the faith goes. The other way of testing is more of a continual test. Is this person been in us? Has this person been in our midst and around us long enough for us to see who they really are? And so one of the things that our church has that you might see on that insert, it says about two sentences in. The members must be 21 years or older, as well as have been a member of Cashi Baptist Church for at least three years. And so that's one of the requirements that our church puts on people who are going to serve as a deacon. You have to have been around us for at least three years. And whether you understand it this way or not, that's a way of testing to see who you really are. So somebody who joins our church tomorrow, we're not going to make them a deacon, okay? Because they haven't been around long enough for us to see who they really are. All right, it's not a funeral gang, okay? Little smiles. So then you move into verse 11. We're going to hit verse 11 mainly next week. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. And so as you go home and as you stew on this throughout the week and you wonder what sort of mess I'm going to wade into, you have pretty much two choices for next week. You have the choice that this means women, wives of the deacons who he's talking about, Or this means a separate category of deaconess within the church. Okay? And so it's up for grabs, whatever you go to and study this week, but we'll flesh it out a lot next week. But those are your two main options. Verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife. That's another passage that we're going to talk about 
next week. So we're going to deal with both of those issues next week. And they must be good managers of their children and their own households. And so a deacon, just like someone who's serving as an elder, bishop, or pastor, has to be a good manager of their household. And the reason is is because if you can't manage people that are under your house, you're never going to be be able to manage the things of God. Then he says this, and this is really, really important. Something that I want to camp out on for a minute or two. Verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read it again. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. One of the things that we struggle with at Cash Out Baptist Church is getting enough people on the ballot to vote for them as deacons. And one of the reasons that we have a difficult time getting enough people on the ballot is not because we have a lack of qualified men, but we have a lack of men who are willing to serve and be put on the ballot. That's the problem that we're going to run into. Okay? And so what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to that if you're nominated as a deacon, I want to encourage you that when you get a call from our chairman of deacons now, I want you to agree to putting your name on the list and to be voted on. Okay? And the reason is this. The reason is totally selfish for you. Because those deacons who have served well obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so you are obtaining for yourself great reward and confidence when you serve well as a deacon. And so I'm asking you personally, if you get nominated as a deacon and you're qualified to be a deacon and Randy gives you a call, say yes when he calls you. Serve our church faithfully as a deacon when asked. Everybody going to do it? Hey, there we go. Now we're alive. No more funeral service. Uh, Jack's been our chairman of deacon in the past, and he's had a rough time getting people to serve. And so when and if asked, please serve. Now, I want you to see a couple things different in the office of pastor and the office of deacon. And so we're going to go back to first, not first Timothy. We're going to go back to the book of Acts. So flip back to the book of Acts chapter six. While you're turning to Acts chapter 6, I want you to know that the word translated as deacon is the same word that's translated as servant other places in the scriptures. Okay? So, a deacon is a servant. Right? Deacon, servant. It's Deacon is not, excuse me, servant is not a definition of the word deacon. Servant is the same word as deacon. Okay? It's just translated differently. And so, what I want you to see is this is how the first deacons came about. This is... This is the need that arose for servants in the church in the first place. Now at this time, this is Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number. Now this wasn't the 12 disciples of Jesus. You following me? Remember a sermon series we preached through maybe even a year ago? That disciples are what the early followers of Christ were called. Right? So the disciples, the followers of Christ were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And so apparently there's some widows who aren't able to work. There is no government welfare system. There is no government social security system. And so when you're too old to work, you're just you're just too old to work. Sorry, but there's nothing going to be given you. So the church is stepping in and the church is meeting needs of widows. This is a very good thing, by the way. 
And so now there's a complaint that some of the widows are being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, keep this in mind. This is a very legitimate complaint. This is not, the carpet's not the color that I wanted. We didn't use the light bulbs that I wanted to use. This is not any of these petty complaints, okay? This is, there are, there are widows that are going without food, right? That's a, that's a heavy duty, real deal complaint. And so the 12, that's the 12 original disciples. Judas is out, the new one's in. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5. This statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then he lists the rest of those men that they prayed. It says in verse six, and they brought before the apostles and after praying, they laid hands on them and the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And so you have a need that has arose, right? So Jesus has died. He's rose from the dead. People are being saved by the thousands, right? They're giving their life to Christ. Peter's preaching sermons, and then people are responding by saying, what must I do to be saved? And so people are continually getting saved. The word is continually continually going forth. And now there's a legitimate complaint that some widows are going hungry because Their needs aren't being met by the church. And so what do they do? They gather the whole group of believers together and they appoint deacons. They appoint servants to to meet that need and to settle that complaint. Now, this is a legitimate complaint. This isn't a foolish complaint. Okay? And that's the need, excuse me, that's the need that arose for the first deacons to be appointed. And I want you to see something. The 12 original disciples who at this point are, are all pastors and overseers for, for the sake of what we're talking about. Listen to this. They recognize that it's not desirable for them to neglect the word of God in order to meet certain physical needs. And in reading this, I became overwhelmingly convicted as, a, as still a relatively new pastor that this is something that I've done. I have neglected preaching the word at the cost of meeting physical needs and meeting other needs that our church has. And I just want to tell you by way of uh, confession that I'm sorry for that. And it's something that I'm trying to grow in. I have done a pretty lousy job at using our deacons in a God-honoring way to help me so that I could spend more time in this Word and more time praying. Right? Even this morning, I felt like I wasn't ready to preach this message. And there's been, I don't know, over the course of the last year, I've kind of stepped into the pulpit and not felt the same boldness that I felt before, but I've felt not ready because I find myself during the week doing other things than getting ready for the times that I'm supposed to preach and teach. And I also find that because I'm doing other things, I'm naturally a doer, right? Um, I'm somebody who, when something needs to be done at their house, they do it themselves. One of you drove by my house when I was digging up my own sewer pipe. Uh, and laughed at me for doing it myself when I should have paid someone else to do it, okay? I, I just like to do things. I'm, I'm much more content as a carpenter than I am a pastor, 
That's just my natural bent. I like to put things together. I like to put nails in them. And I like them to stay where I put them, right? At the end of the day, you can see, you can walk away from the job you did and see that you've made progress. It's not that way as a pastor, okay? So it's much easier for me to do things physically with my hands so that I see some sort of finished product than it is to spend more time studying and praying. And what I'm telling you is that I've been doing a lousy job studying and praying, and I want to do a better job. That's what I got out of this when I was preparing the sermon. And so you see that those guys recognize that the most important thing they can do is to devote themselves to prayer, verse 4, and the ministry of the word. I want you to see out of Acts chapter 6 that the disciples realize something that we always need to have in front of our view. And this is the reason that you need to pray for me. This is the reason that I need to do better giving things to our deacons and not doing them myself. Is because when we all stand before the Lord, you'll answer for your own lives. I'll answer for my life and your life. I'll answer for the way that I shepherd you, shepherded you. I'll answer for the way that I taught you. I'll answer for the way that I prayed for you. And you won't do that for other people. And so, brothers and sisters, when you pray for me, pray for me that I would be a better pastor, not in the ways that you think I stink, but in the way that I think I'm lacking. Okay? Because this is an area that I need to grow in. And then when the apostles said that, when the disciples said that, the statement found approval with the whole congregation and they set up deacons and elders. And I want you to see one more time over in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And this is a difference between elders, pastors, bishops, overseers than you have in deacons. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, this is something that's difficult for me to say because I don't want to say, hey, everybody, I'm the one in charge here. But what I do want to say is I want you to look at the Scripture and I want you to see what it says. It says, to the elders who rule well, they're to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It's the role of the overseer, pastor, bishop, and the other one that I've just left off to rule the church. It's the role of a deacon to come alongside and serve and meet physical needs in the church. I need to be a man of God who spends more time in God's word and spends more time praying. And the deacons that you elect, are you're not electing them to rule our church. That responsibility has been delegated by God to me. What you need to do is you need to elect men who are worthy of respect, who are servants. And they need to be serving and meeting physical needs of people within our congregation. Those are the primary differences between elders and deacons. And so when you get a chance to nominate, you should be able to joyfully write someone's name on that piece of paper, right? And what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to stick more to this book. Now hear me out before you, before I finish. I want you to stick more to this book than you stick to our church constitution. And you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said that. There are churches all over the area who sacrifice when it comes to the role of deacons 
because their constitution says they need to have a certain number. And so what they do is they get as close as possible to what the Bible says so that they can meet the number that the constitution says. And I want you to know that God has standards for your pastor and he has standards for your deacons. And if we don't have enough men, if you can't think of enough, if you don't know enough men to write on the piece of paper, then don't write them on the piece of paper. I think personally, if you knew all of the men in our church the way I do, you'd have no problem coming up with enough men. But one of the things I've noticed, you get what I said there, right? I told you, don't worry about if you can't do something. And then I told you that if you knew what I knew, you'd have no problem filling it. Everybody heard me say that, right? Also want you to know this. One of the things I've realized about our church, and this is a little bit negative, but it's, it's easily remedied, is that I get to spend time with, with all of you separate from everybody. And when I bring up somebody else, oftentimes you don't know anything about them, right? Our church, one of the things that we're going to do in the near future is we're going to get better at fellowshipping with one another. I want you guys to know each other the way that I know each of you. And you may think that happens, but there's one of you who's a very prominent member at this church, and I was talking to you, talking about you in a good way to someone, and they didn't have any idea about the things that I was saying. And I feel like that's a tragedy because there's tons of great folks in our church. There's tons of people that would make fantastic deacons. You just may not know them. And so you put people on the piece of paper that you know, that you're confident in, and then we'll trust the Lord to set apart the people that he wants to serve as deacon. Amen? And then when you're asked, you're not going to dodge the phone call. You're just going to gladly respond with a yes, I'll joyfully serve when Randy calls. So that you can obtain for yourself. What did it say? So that you can obtain for yourself. Wait for it. Great confidence in the faith which is in Christ Jesus and high standing. And so brothers and sisters... I love you guys. I hope that this was encouraging, right? The idea of this message was to be encouraging and to help make the deacon election process a worshipful one because we'll be doing things the way that God wants them done. Amen? Give me a little head nod action. All right. Now, I know you're ready for next week, right? You'll all be eagerly awaiting what in the world he's going to have to say. Well, let's go to Lord in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as always, and we thank you for this body that you set up called the church. Father, I pray that we would each play our role well within the church. Lord, help us to rise to what you've called us to be. Father, help us to serve where you've called us to serve. And Father, I pray that we would be a church that functions the way that you would have it serve. Lord, I pray that everything that we say and do ever would always be for your glory and your honor. And Father, I pray at the end of each day that the world would see how great of a savior you are through the way that we conduct ourselves and through the way things in our church are handled. Lord, we love you. And lastly, we pray that if there's anybody here who's never put their faith in you, who's never been forgiven of their sins, Father, I pray that today would be the day they make a decision to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. Well, it's good to see you guys this week. Hope that uh, your week goes fantastic. And I want to remind you of all the things we've got coming up that are all in your bulletin. Make sure that you uh, keep that thing around. Read everything that's in it. Uh, team kid this evening.
going to be run by the students. Betsy has put out a text message to some of our parents. Uh, we could use an extra hand or two if nobody's responded to her. And so make sure some of you parents stick around uh, just for crowd control this evening uh, to make sure everything goes smooth. Sound like a plan? All right. Don't make me chase your car down on your way out of the parking lot because I'll do it. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Bill Powell if you would close us in prayer.